0: Education as formation. Now, when we say that, what does that mean? What do we mean when we say education as formation? Let me ask that a different way. If we are educating someone, what does it mean to educate someone? To teach them, right? Are we teaching them books? Are we only teaching them books? No, we're teaching them a lot more than that, right? We're, we're, trying to, see, uh, we're trying to recover this understanding of education as a fully forming endeavor for a person. And we use lots of illustrations for this along the way. So one of those illustrations was the life of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was given a tutor by his father who instructed him in books, but he also taught him how to think. He taught him the lines and the avenues by which to logic and reason. He taught him the Socratic method, which was very helpful for C.S. Lewis, and formed his worldview later on. Before C.S. Lewis was even a qualified Christian, but because somebody taught him how to think, he was able to make the jump to Christianity much easier. Isn't that interesting? He, he learned... Uh, how to think, how to ask questions, how to use logic and deduction and stuff along those lines, how to use the Socratic method to be able to, in the expression of other people, I'm stealing this quote, to think in straight lines, that led him to Jesus. Um, And so it's an important piece for us to remember that education is much more than just book learning, right? It's uh, teaching us how to think. It's also teaching us what else? What else is important in education? We're forming someone as a whole person. What's import, what else is important in that? Healthy living, right. And we're going to talk a little bit of, and at length about that today, hopefully. You guys know how this works out. I prepare notes, and maybe we get to all of them. I don't know if it'll happen today, but I have the notes prepared, if we're actually going to get to it or not. Uh, but yeah, physical exercise. Um, what about your uh, emotions and self-control? Is that part of forming a person? Absolutely, right? Uh, That's part of the things that we learn whenever we go into the, if you have enlisted, many of you have uh, at one point or another been a person in the military, or maybe you're one generation removed from somebody in the military and you've inherited a little bit of that discipline that they had to learn along the way. There's a high degree of self-control, emotional control that goes into being able to regulate and uh, and disciple, discipline the self. Can you think of any other things that go into uh, uh, forming a whole person? Let me ask it this way. Whose job is it primarily to form a person? Well, God, yes. <laughs> um, and God works through your parents, my son, my good son. Um, and the Lord uses parents to, where do, where do we get this from? So primarily the parents' responsibility, right? So where, where do we get that from? There's a couple of places in the Bible, but the most common one is... Deuteronomy 6, that's right. It gives us the very clear instruction, the charge that it is the parent's job primarily to form a child. And this is why good Christian schools who are self-conscious of that put that somewhere in their official statements. Hey, we're assisting parents. We're not doing mom and dad's job, because it's not possible for the school, the entity, to take on the responsibility of mom and dad. This is why also you have Christian schools that are full of non-believing, unrepentant, unregenerate children, is because mom and dad drop them off and say, fix these children. I don't know how to fix them. You fix them. Um, But if parents will accept the responsibility of their responsibility, their right responsibility, of forming a child in the way that they should go, then when they are old, they will what? Leave it and it'll be done. No, the proverb says if you teach, raise them up in the way they should go, train them up in the way they should go, and when they are old they will not depart from it. And that's something that we should hold on to as Christian parents, believe God's promises and say, all right, Lord, that I'm going to do my very best to faithfully follow you in this way. So it's primarily the parent's responsibility. Um, Let's say you've left mom and dad's house. Whose responsibility is it to form yourself now? Yourself. (laughs) It's yourself. After you hit like 18, are you done being formed? No, because what are we really talking about? We're talking about education as formation, being formed into the image of Christ, right? We're talking about being formed into into who Jesus would have us to be. And that's an ongoing, lifelong process. This is one of the things why it's so important for you to teach your kids at a very young age that education, formation, discipleship, training, discipline, self-control, that stuff doesn't stop whenever you leave mom and dad's house, right? That stuff stops whenever you're dead. You're always reading, you're always growing, you're always learning new things, you're always working hard to exercise self-control over yourself perpetually. If you don't do that, then you're going to start regressing and regressing pretty poorly. You want to live a life of very faithful fruitfulness forward until you retire, right? No not until you retire <laughs> not until you retire until you're dead now the way that you're being fruitful and working might look different after you reach a certain age right that's that's normal uh, because maybe you don't have the same i don't know tenacity virility gusto i heard two people say gusto so y'all y'all thinking with one brain here like on the opposite ends of the room in fact uh but there's, there is a sense in which that's true. Maybe it changes how you're fruitful, but you don't change the fact that you're growing and continuing to produce. In fact, it was, I think it was John Piper who said, what a waste of a life to spend your last 20 years on this earth picking up shells on a beach. Amen. Be fruitful. Be fruitful with your time and work to be diligent producers, creators, discipline of your life. Formation is a lifelong process. Education is a lifelong process. And so we should embrace those things. All right. Now, we also talked about a couple of different things in the categories of self-discipline. Why should we discipline ourselves? Self-control. I'm going, like, this is our comprehensive review, okay? That's why I'm saying this is probably going to be our last day. What's, what's important about self discipline, self control? Why should we do it? Well, so, <laughs> yeah, well, the Lord says that we should be disciplined and self controlled, and therefore we should. But if we're not self controlled, what what, say that again, Wade. That's right. And which is that's part of the reason is that we currently live in such an overreaching statist society. Because our individuals that live in our country as a whole don't possess self-government, and so government has to stretch in from around them to control and make sure that society is doing what it's supposed to do. This is partly why Christians should be some of the best citizens on the planet, because we're self-controlled. We're restrained. We restrain ourselves from evil. The Holy Spirit restrains us from evil. The goodness of God restrains us from evil, His grace. And therefore we're able to to be far more fruitful and productive and creative in the societies in which we live. That's a good gift. And we should example that to the world around us. But the state of society in which we live right now Assumes that your kids are their kids, assumes that they have the control over the education mechanism. Um, And we talked about this several weeks ago. Homeschooling is an incredibly important right in the United States of America, and it is currently under threat in some regions of the country. And we need to make sure that we, as God's people, advocate for that because, first off, that's a biblical order of events. Mom and dad are the primary people responsible for educating their children, but secondly, your kids are not the state's kids, and we can't trust the state if the last five years have taught us anything with our children at all under any circumstance. Amen? Okay. Y'all got questions about that? (laughs) Education as formation, self-discipline is an enormous important part of that. I won't read the verses necessarily. I'll read one of them. Um, What is one of the things, especially as Christians, that we should be very aware of and be exercising self-control over? I'll give you a hint. It's in the Bible a lot. It's your mouth. I covered my microphone. It's your mouth. There it is. Did it better that time. It's your mouth. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 13, verse 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, and he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The Bible also says, where there are many words, what? Y'all know off the top of your head? Where there are many words, sin is not absent or sin abounds. Yes, that's exactly right. So, what does that mean? Watch your mouth. Be careful. Control your tongue. And make sure that what you say lines up with what God says, right? Now that that does mean that there's a high degree of self-control that you have to exercise right there. Because we want to be quick with our retorts. You ever hang out with somebody where it's really obvious that they're planning what their response is going to be halfway through you talking? Like there comes a moment where they've stopped listening, and they are already planning the rebuttal or the retort, or maybe you do that. I don't know. You know. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you as he may. But what we should be doing instead is working to restrain our mouths, We're working to control ourselves, speak less, and delight in the Lord more and more. Don't waste away. Don't let any of those things come and take control of you. All right. In the category of self-control, we talked about several subcategories in there. What was one of them? What's something that we need to exercise control of? We talked about our mouth a little bit. What else is something that we need to exercise control of? Our emotions. That's right. That was more in our previous class, but yeah, we can talk about that for just a second. Your emotions can control you. The heart is what? Deceitful and desperately sick. Who can know it? But what does Disney say? Follow it. Follow it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's wacko, you know? Follow your heart. I just don't know if I love this job. Well, does it pay the bills? Yeah, but do I love it? No, shut up. Does it pay the bills? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> You're measuring your metrics the wrong way. If the Lord provides for your family through this mechanism, then hot dog, let's go. Enjoyment. Uh, Personal fulfillment is not priority number one. You've got other obligations to deal with far and away before that. Imagine if, like, all the doctors in the world were like, "Did I do? I just do? I love being a doctor? I don't know." We would all die. You know, that would that would be a sad situation. So we would like to not operate off of the draw of just. Our hearts. So don't follow your heart. Don't follow your emotions. Instead, follow the Lord. Um, that's a lot like your mouth, in that you have to exercise a high degree of self control to make sure that you're not doing that, right? Is this what the Lord would have for me, or is this just my feelings? Uh, is this what the Lord would have me say, or am I just speaking intuitively quickly? Does what I'm about to say align with the scriptures, or not? Right? Like that. There's a lot of a lot of self control that goes into that, and I will tell you straight up, when you first start applying that principle to your actions and to your words, it means you're going to move slower. It just means you're going to move slower, okay, because you're out of practice. It's like any muscle that you flex, any muscle that you exercise, the muscle of self-control over your mouth, over your actions, over your time, it's gonna, it means you're going to move slower for the first little while, but once you r- train it correctly, now you're cooking, now you can move faster. Now you're able to, to think and reason well fast enough to control your mouth and respond at a decent amount of time. You're able to think and reason well enough within the bounds of the Scriptures to know whether or not your actions are in align with the Bible and what it says. It does mean you'll move slower at first, but that's okay because you'll make it through. All right, emotions, the tongue. What else? What else is something inside of the category of self-control that we should think about? What's that? Finances. That's right. The Bible says that if you are um, diligent, if you steward little well, if you are if you are faithful with a little, what happens? He blesses you with. Now that doesn't just pertain only to finances, right? But it does pertain to finances, and so we should steward what the Lord has given us well, and anticipate and believe. We're actually going to talk about this a lot today in today's sermon. Um, but if we steward what the Lord has given us, he will bless us with more and we can utilize that more to go on, uh, you know, expensive vacations. No, no. What do you do with the more that the Lord gives you? You, he, you are faithful with his money to do the things that he wants to do with it. And then he gives you more money to do what? To be faithful with what he wants to do with it. Right now, vacations aren't evil. Leisure isn't evil. In fact, you serve a God who probably put more leisure into the Bible than you're comfortable with, if I was just going to be completely honest. You take one day completely off every week or God will curse you. That's what the Bible says. You don't take that day off every week, God's going to curse you. Whoa, okay. And he would line up the festivals. I mean, if you go back through and look at all the festivals and the amount of time that they would spend with each one of those, it's like two calendar months. It's crazy. Can you imagine that going up to your boss and being like I need 2 months off a year they'd be like well you get 2 weeks <laughs> That's it Here you go <laughs> That's right <laughs> if you're lucky Yeah it's a very you serve a god who takes leisure seriously who takes but the leisure is not just done focused on the self who's the leisure focused upon let's focused on the lord so whenever we rest on the lord's day who are we thanking for the lord's day Him Right? We're worshiping the Lord for the Lord's day and all of His goodness and all of His grace. And you can find ways to incorporate traditions and liturgies into your family patterns and practices in order to do that better and better and better. I know some of you, you have your intentional devotions every day. I know some of you, well, Everybody who's here uh, goes to church every Sunday. That's a great liturgy to keep open on the Lord's Day. Um, We've started practicing an evening celebration on Saturday night where we have all of our family come over. And we we call it a Sabbath dinner. Somebody else's idea, I've stolen it from them. And it's a lot of fun. We've been doing it for a couple of months now. We have a little liturgy that we do through it. And we make it intentionally pointing everybody in the room to Jesus, and it's a lot of fun, and I, th- I would encourage you guys to find ways to do that with your, with your godly time. You can take your kids on trips, you can take vacations, all those things are good, but keep the Lord the center of it, not yourself. What about your time? Is your time important to steward well? Yeah, why? Because you ain't getting no more of it, right? Time is the non-renewable resource, Okay? Unless you're God, and you're not. so (laughs) Time is the non-renewable resource. The the Bible says the Lord has numbered your days. There's a set number of them, so use them faithfully. So we want to make sure that as we're going through our lives, we're making sure that every moment matters. And we talked about a couple of of ways for you to do that, a couple of practical things. I think the biggest one, if I was just going to summarize all of that on time, would be the idea of um, being time-oriented and not task-oriented. Do you get what I'm saying? We talked about this a lot for a couple of days. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but it basically means instead of saying, I need to accomplish these tasks today, it says, I need to accomplish these tasks in this amount of time today. I think that's much more beneficial for people. Because if you're like me, you get distracted easily. Maybe you're not like me. Um, but if you're like me, you get distracted easily. And I, I'm going to get this done today. And then it's like, you know, 430 And I still haven't done that thing. And then I do that thing in 10 minutes. And I'm like, I was productive. No, I wasn't. (laughs) That's not productive. That's the opposite of productivity. Now, if you got little kids, um, guess what? There's your productivity, right? Your, Your little kids own your schedule. And they should. I don't mean that like that they're the center of your universe, because obviously they're not. But you are working on cultivating them into faithful stewards who follow the Lord in all of their life, right? And so that takes a lot of time, but that's exponential growth, okay? So right now there's one of you, okay, but if you got a little family with little kids in it, then if you manage to work this system correctly and follow the Lord in all of these ways, then you've got two, three, four, five little yous in a couple of years. That's exponential fruitfulness, okay? And you want to continue to push that out. And boop, 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 boop. And uh, that'll, be a, that'll be a good thing for the Lord. <clears throat> we talked about money. We did that already. We talked a little bit about physical health. I have a few notes for us on the realm of physical health. But I really just want to go into one specific aspect. Why discipline your physical health? First off, Paul uses it in his analogy, right? He's like, I beat my body so that it may what? So that he can be more fruitful. I beat down, I, I abused my body, I beat down my body. He's talking about physical exercise, strength, pushing himself. Um, Abel and I were learning about this yesterday, right, Abel? With your, on your monkey bars? We got Abel some monkey bars, and he can't, he can grab the first one. Right, Abe? He can grab the first one, and he's like, I got it! And the, in the morning, he couldn't grab the second one. He's like, man, I can't do it. And then by the end of the day, he could touch the second one. I'm like, improvement. I told you. You just keep going. You're going to get better at this. We, we abuse, we exercise our physical body so that we can increase our strength. Um, but what's the point of having strength? So that you can work. That's good. If you don't have strength, you can't work. Um, so that you can work longer, harder, more diligently. That's important. What else is some reason to have physical strength? So I can look suave in the mirror. No? And if you take gym selfies, you might be in trouble. Yes, sir, Mr. Dave. So you can live longer. Amen. You take care of that heart so that thing keeps pumping so you can stick around with your family for a long time. Amen. I think, how long is it, Mr. Dave? Is it, is it like 20 minutes of cardio a day? Keeps your, keeps your heart going appropriately. Is that right? I, I seem, I, there was some magic number I remember somewhere I think it was 20 minutes but I'm not a doctor he is so y'all talk to him after service so, but that would be a good thing for you to do keep your heart pumping that's a good thing for you to do every day as much as you possibly can so live longer good strength what else what if, uh, what if your family is threatened you should be strong right you should be strong in order to protect them that's part of the deal Okay, you should have physical strength to protect yourself because if you can't protect yourself, then now you're res- somebody else's responsibility. Okay, and if you should also have physical strength to protect others. Okay, now mostly with the second one there, I'm obviously mostly talking to men. Um, it's a primarily a man's responsibility to care and protect for his family. So make sure you're keeping yourself up as best you possibly can. Those are important pieces. All right, <laughs> we talked a little bit about the ideas of, as, as we kind of continue to learn about. Um, formation and educating the whole person, we talked about, um, we actually didn't talk about this. I do want to spend a few moments just talking about this. Have you ever heard the expression, a reader is a leader? Have you ever heard that expression before? Okay, well, if you haven't, now you have. A reader is a leader. Is that true? Some of y'all know where I'm going already. That's okay. What if all I read is garbage romance novels? Does that make me a leader? (laughs) Definitely not. That probably makes you a porn addict, to be completely honest. Uh, No, a reader, it it matters a lot what you read, right? It matters what you're putting into your body. Uh, If you haven't listened to uh, Nate Wilson's podcast, Stories Are Soul Food, I would encourage you, the first handful of episodes are very helpful. Um, because he's, he's building his thesis around the idea of not just reading necessarily, but ingesting proper content. And he builds that thesis out over time into television, into uh, uh, movies, into all types of different content forms. The point of it is this. Here's the deal. Um, the type, the mode of data intake, of information intake, is not Uh, One is not righteous and one is not wicked. Now it is true that books, there are a lot more good, good books that exist probably than good, good podcasts. Like that's true. But you should be able to, as you're looking through and learning and growing in Christ and all those different things, you need to be able to know the difference between um, between your vegetables and a Dorito chip. I'm stealing analogies from Indy Wilson all day long here, okay? But I I, I would recommend this podcast. I think it would be good. The the type of content you're consuming matters. If all you do is, um, I don't know, what would be a terrible example here? If all you do is sit down and watch Friends every day for your entire life, that is the equivalent of you sitting down and stuffing your face with Doritos every day for your entire life. What are you doing to your brain? Like, sure, It'll keep you alive and keep you thinking, right? Okay, that's probably true, but it's also killing you the whole time. You need to diversify with quality content the types of pieces that you're listening to. What if if it's The Office? That's better, right? (laughs) What if if you're one of those people who's watched The Office through all the way about a dozen times? That's better, isn't it? It's, uh, no, it's not better. (laughs) It's not better. So don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, it's fine if you sit down and enjoy that with your family on occasion. If it's what you do to, I don't know, make your brain go to sleep at night. I don't know. Whatever. You know, that's totally fine. But if that's the only thing that you're intaking all day long, you apply the same principle to it that you do with junk food. It's fine to eat some chips. Doritos are fine every now and then. If Doritos are all you eat all the time, that's bad. The majority of your diet should be good things. And if you're just now getting into this space for the first time and you're like, I don't even know where to go, holler at me and I will give you a list of things for you to listen to and watch and books to read and all kinds of content forms. In fact, I'm going to say some crazy stuff to you guys. Are you ready? Here we go. We, for a long time, I didn't touch. What's up, guys? Good to see you all. For a long time, I didn't touch any type of overseas animation with a 20-foot pole. I wasn't going to mess with it, because there were certain stigmas associated with that genre. But I was hanging out with a friend who was dabbling in it a little bit, and they made some very specific recommendations to me and my wife. Very specific. What's the name of the writers? Miyazaki. Okay. Miyazaki, 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 like, I don't know, you know, whatever, it, one of those things. So he's the guy who wrote uh, My Neighbor Totoro, if you're familiar with that. Ghibli, Studios. uh, Ghibli Studios-ish. Um, he's the guy that wrote Spirited Away, yeah. which let me just tell you straight up, the first time that you ever watch Spirited Away, you're going to be like, this is the weirdest uh-huh. thing I ever saw in my entire life. But what you're looking for in these things is you're looking for good stories, okay? It's not the type of content, it's what it communicates. And the Miyazaki guy, now granted, he's probably not a Christian. I can just about guarantee you that he's not. And there's a lot of weird Asian Easternism kind of stuff in it. Like they they got the weird idols that they go to, they got the spirits that they deal with. All that stuff's there, I get it. But see, here's the thing. For kids being raised in a Christian household that are being raised faithfully, they can pick that out a lot easier than they can pick out the garbage that's coming off of the Disney Channel. You see what I'm saying? A long time ago, I had a buddy of mine who was sending his kids to Catholic school, and I was like, man, you're sending. He was a faithful, devout, Orthodox, Protestant guy. He had his kids in Catholic school. I was like, man, what are you doing? He's like, listen, they can pick out the stuff that's wrong with that way faster than they can pick out the stuff that's wrong with the quasi-Christian schools. And I was like, oh, I got it. I see the piece. What you're looking for here are high-quality, high-content stories. And you can find them in a lot of places. So if you're looking, come holler at me after service and we can talk through some things about those more and more. You want to be conscious of what your intake actually is, and especially the intake for your kids. And you want to have conversations with them about it and talk through it. Yeah, honey? Oh, yeah. Not, not all of them. Yeah, no, this is not a whole endorsement, but there's a handful of them. Like, na- my neighbor Totoro is fine. Um, there's a one little weird moment that happens in it because it's an Asian culture thing. They take family baths. That's an Asian culture thing. And so there's, you don't see anything. You don't see anything weird and sexual in the entire scene. But there's this scene where the whole family's in the bath together, and you're like, Wait. <laughs> what is happening? That's an Asian culture thing. We don't that's like soup. Um, spirited away is good. Uh, again, but keep in mind, you get all the weird Asian-like fake spiritual stuff that's in there. Um, But if you're faithfully raising your kids up in the Lord, they can pick that stuff out pretty easy. But the overarching story is a a story of a little girl who's afraid about a big change in her life, and her family helps her, and she learns to be brave and deal with her fears. And she, she sacrifices herself. Other people sacrifice themselves to serve her, to serve others. And then at the end, she's reunited with her family. It's a really, it's like, wow, why didn't, why don't we have good stuff? anymore. You have to dig. You have to dig real hard. But the stories exist. The stories exist. And I find stuff like that with all its weirdness way safer than uh, turning on, I don't know, whatever the latest. What's the latest Disney thing that came out? The one with the fire? Elementals. Yeah, like, you know, that's, they're, they're intentionally coming after your kids to recruit them in a particular direction in such a way that you don't notice that it's happening. That's some wild stuff. But anyway, all right. Our last little bit, we haven't talked about this yet either. So we went into physical uh, strength and its necessity just a little bit. We went into modes of intake, modes of data intake, which, you know, books are great, but not all books, uh, right? Um, We can give you reading lists, podcast lists, movie lists, all that different stuff if you want to start building a particular culture in your homes. Now I want to talk about the idea of adversity. Now we've Tapped on this over and over and over again as we've gone throughout this class, and I kind of want to capstone the whole class with this. We've referenced it again and again and again, but here's the, let me give you the big point before we start. God uses adversity in your life to teach you. Full stop. Okay. God uses adversity in your life to teach you. Do we all agree with that statement? Does God send trials to His people? to teach and train and disciple them. Yeah, okay. The, the refining fire is the perpetual picture, right? The, the, the fire that burns the, the impurities away in the gold, but leaves the gold standing. So let me ask you this question. If God, if we all agree, and the Bible says it clearly, so obviously we better agree or somebody's got some repent to do, but if we all agree that God gives us adversity for a good purpose in our lives... Is it also true that he would do so for our friends and our children? Yes, right? It is true that God would send difficulties for our children and our friends, those around us, to experience, to deal with in their lives for a good purpose. For a good purpose. Which means that as parents, well let me actually take one step back. No, I can say it. As parents, it is our duty to let our children experience trials and adversity in their lives. It's our duty. We have to. If you are the, this is why the helicopter parent is so bad. Because the helicopter parent wants to keep everything bad away from their kids, right? Right? The helicopter parent wants to make sure, no, no, you you can't do any of these things, you can't watch any of these things, you can't be a part of this, you can't do that, because you might get hurt, okay? Because something bad might happen to you. And that's not how God disciples us. God disciples us through trials, through difficulties. And if something, if if our kid is hurt very often it is the parents whether emotionally hurt or or physically injured if if somebody's picking on your kid at school what's your first response point me to that child and i will fix this problem right like that's i remember whenever marie was young and we would hear stories about some other kid being unkind to her and you know first kid i didn't know anything yet i was still figuring it out and i was like oh i'll fix this problem i'll fix this problem today let's go that's not that's not helpful that's not helpful. If if your kid falls down, this is a common first kid thing, your kid falls down, they hurt themselves, you immediately want to do what? You want to scoop them up. and It's going to be okay, don't worry. But that's not good for them. You need to let your child experience some adversity in their lives, some difficulty in their lives. Now, what, else, what is a principle that we need to bring into play carefully with this type of parenting, with this type of friendship, with this type of pastoring? What's a principle that we need to bring into play here? I'll give you a hint. I'll give you the first two words. We need, to their, we need to know their frame. Where am I getting that from? The Bible says that the Lord knows your frame, and He won't send something that's too difficult necessarily, won't send something that's, that's too much, too great for you to, for you to handle, for you to deal with in your life. So in the same sense, we do that with our children. We do that with our friends. We do that with those under our purview, maybe as a business manager or whatever you, you give trials, you let trials happen. You see trials come and you allow them to happen, but you are aware of the frame of those under your purview, under your responsibility, right? This is a big deal for mom and dad. That means, mom and dad, you got to know those kids. You got to know them. You got to know how they'd respond in certain situations. You got to know how you think they'd handle it. You're not rolling the dice with your kids. Well, let's see what happens. You know, you, you want to, you as best you possibly can, give them what they can handle and allow them to experience difficulty and adversity in their lives. Can you think of any examples from the Bible where people experience difficulty and adversity and trials? All of them, yes, sir. David, which one? Which time? <laughs> There's a ton of them. Daniel, Daniel, when? Daniel was being faithful to God, and then he got tossed into what? A lion's den. Did God prevent Daniel from going in the lion's den? He was down in the den. It was done. But God did intercede on Daniel's behalf and keep the lions from eating him. But Daniel didn't know that was going to happen. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were faithful to God and they got thrown into what? Do you remember Shadrach's? I'm sorry, I think it was Shadrach. I can't remember which one said it now. But one of them had a very famous quote. They said, you know what, we might burn up in there. And if we do, so be it. But God is still good. I'm summarizing it a whole lot right there. But that was their point. At the end of the day, we trust the Lord. And he might send us to our deaths or he might save us. But that's okay. We still trust him. And what he does is good. Can you think of anybody else in the Bible that went through trials? We could sit here for an hour and a half probably and just start listing these. What about Joseph? What about Joseph? Joseph was sent down deep into the depths. First he went to where? First he got thrown into the pit by his brothers, right? And then he got sold into slavery all under the purview of his God. And then he went into Potiphar's house And he served in Potiphar's house, and things seemed to be going better for him, and then he got accused of adultery by Potiphar's wife, falsely accused of adultery by Potiphar's wife, and then he was thrown into what? Prison. And then eventually the Lord raises him up out of prison to become second in command in all of Israel. God used his trials, his adversities, to train him for a position that he had laid out for him before the foundations of the earth. And imagine if Joseph had just become, well, I'm in prison, so... I give up. This is it. I don't care anymore. I'm not going to try. That's not what we see from Joseph. We see that Joseph was still working. He was still fighting. He was still, he was still doing the things he was called to do. How many of us, we get thrown into jail and we just be like, well, I give up. I'm done. That's not Joseph's disposition. Well, can you think of any other trials? Any other people who went through trials? I got minutes. It's okay. We got time. Who? Job. Heck yeah. Job lost everything. Didn't he? But did he he remain faithful? Yeah, he remained faithful. And then what did God bless him with on the other side of his faithfulness after he lost everything? He restored everything and more to him. Right? We said David already, buddy. It's okay, though. You're doing a great job. We see this repetitive each and every time. Now let me ask you a question. Is adversity, is difficulty a uh, result of sin? Sometimes, but not always. But sometimes it most definitely can be, right? Adversity... Am I, he- do, am I hearing something? Am I crazy? Jesus? <laughs> do I need to shut up right now? Alright. Adversity can be... Um, Adversity can be a result of sin. Difficulty can be a result of sin. Trials can be a result of sin, but it's not always, okay? And if it is a result of sin, what should you do? Confess, repent, own it. Own it. Lean into it, not away from it. See, here's the thing that we tend to like to do with adversity. We would like to shield our children, our, our family, our friends, our, uh, the people that we're responsible for from it, okay? And we also like to run away from it ourselves, don't we? Somebody protect me from this. Somebody get me away from this this difficult trial in my life. I think that one of the coolest things that I've heard over the last couple of years was a pastor who said something along the lines of looking at some folks who were dealing with a high degree of adversity in their life, and he said, well, the Lord has something different planned for you. Amen! <laughs> you know, He's got something different planned for you. Let's see what happens. Who knows what the Lord's going to work with this? Um, but if it is your sin, you confess it, you you deal with it, and you move on. Uh, the guilty, the, if we dodge then we're we're responding with our guilt uh, the guilty as a reflex, blame others when they're accused of their sin, or when adversity comes as a result, because they're driven by fear because they know that sin deserves death. But if you believe the Gospel, that Jesus Christ came to die for all your sins, that you may be saved, and that He promises to care for you far better than anything else in the world, then you can say, yes Lord, and amen, and confess your sin, trust Him, and move on from there. Don't be driven by fear, don't be like Adam and Eve in the garden, blame shifting and denying, confess and repent, and move on from there. Adversity is a part of a good God sent refining trial for you. Who does God discipline? The ones he loves. God disciplines the ones he loves. And we have got to remember that all the way down deep into our hearts. Adversity, difficulty, trials have a good purpose. That's Romans 8.28. The Bible makes that painstakingly clear over and over and over again. And we need to believe that to be true. So, don't run from trials, okay? Don't run to them either. But have the knowledge that they come from the hand of a good God. Or maybe I should say come through the hand of a good God. Right? He's, he has control. He, he curates. He curves these things. He designs them for you. He, he leads them in a particular direction for a certain outcome in your life. And you can trust him for it. Because his gifts are good. Do the same thing with your children. Do the same thing with those you're responsible for. Don't keep them away from all adversity. Don't be the helicopter parent. But let them experience it from from time to time, when it's appropriate, in controlled ways, in so far as you can. And our goal as parents, and I said this last week, and I want to say it again, so that we can get it all the way down deep into our culture, into our fibers. If you're raising kids, you should be raising them so that by the time that they're about 16, 17 years old and still living in your house, you can give them full autonomous independence while they're still with you so that you can watch them. (laughs) Right? So that if they need help, you're right there so that if they start going through something very difficult you're right there and you can help them along the way but that should be i think our goal as mom and dad don't let them experience complete and absolute utter freedom for the first time without you that's bad <laughs> don't do that but we when we got little kids we you know if you don't feed them they die <laughs> right so you're on top of them all the time but as your kids get older It's gradually you teaching them more and more and taking your hands more and more off them so that eventually they're walking free and in the Lord and according to His grace. we got time for like two questions. Y'all got questions before we're done? Z? Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things means all. And if you read the whole Bible and you have a biblical theology of trials and difficulties as you should by reading the whole Bible, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God sends difficulties to us as results of our sin, that's true, um, but also just to help refine us and grow us and try us. Yes, and the life is on the other side of it. I mean think about yourself personally for just a little bit. The difficulties that you've walked through, haven't they all changed you for the better? If you've walked through them but the ones that you've run away from, what's happened? Nothing. If anything, you took steps backwards, right? The Lord sends you difficulties and trials for a good purpose, so walk to them with joy and trust Him with the outcome. Buddy? Was there adversity before the fall? I think that there was, but not in the way that we would think of it. So I I think that there was adversity in that man still had work to do. Now the work is toilsome, and he fights with the, the vines and things like that, but there was still work to do. You get what I'm saying? And there was still a, I'm sure there was still seasons of the earth. There were still rhythms to learn. There was still life as a whole. Like, life before the fall wasn't Adam and Eve just walking around and an apple tree popped up. Hey, look, apples! You know, like, it wasn't like that. They, they still would be creating and engineering and building and doing things wrong, right, um, as the things continued. So there would have been, yes, adversity, but not in the way that we experience it. And the new heavens and the new earth, I believe, will be us continuing to build the kingdom of God into eternity as well. Um, And I don't know exactly what that'll look like, but building I mean, you're a contractor, right? Building implies every now and then you screw it up, and you learn from it, and you improve, and you move forward. That's just life, normal. i got time for one more question, and then we got to wrap. Perfect. Let's pray. Guys, thank y'all. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that you would help us today to bring these truths from your word down deep into our hearts, that we'd be faithful to believe them, and that we would wield them well in our lives. Help us to use these truths to inform the way that we raise our kids and that we, the way that we disciple those who are around us. Lord, we love you, and we pray for your blessing upon your church on this day and all the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.